answer that question by asking you two questions. One, is this or is this not? Chasing history. Jake Larson. I needed to find this Shaka Khan song. I couldn't think of the name of it, and so I had to stop in the middle of the sidewalk. And two-time Nebraska walk-on tryout participant Colton Stone. <laughs> I'm putting a 12-6 that only has a 12 right at the batter's head. <laughs> yes, it is. Two, do I or do I not currently have a pulse? Yes, I do. Let's play football. Good morning, beautiful people. It's 10 a.m. on a Friday. You know what that means? It's chasing history time. Chasing history on 90.3 KRNU Lincoln. I'm Colton Stone alongside, as always, Jake Larson. And Jake's currently huddled in the corner as a popsicle. Just need a bag to put over you and start selling you outside. It's uh, frigid. It's, it is. It is. I, yesterday, I was actually, uh, I thought it was going to be um, next Ice Age. They'd find me. Uh, yeah, I think I saw a mammoth. Down. Fu- oh, it, that's the, st- oh, yeah. Yeah, I did the, yeah, the fist yeah. bump. I am. Um, yeah, I thought I was going to be discovered 200 years later and someone take a blow dryer and <laughs> ice off the, uh, melt down the ice cube that I was. This is how dumb people looked. <laughs> well, yes. Well, Jake, uh, some history some over sad, the weekend. Old, sad, some sad old, history yeah. um, yesterday. Yes. Um, which is probably where we'll start. Um uh, Frank Robinson passes away, 83? 83 years yeah. old, yes. Um, first African-American manager, manager in baseball. Yep. He had uh, an absolute s- force at the plate. Yeah, still the only player to win an MVP in both leagues. Mm-hmm. Um, finished in the top five many, many, or top ten many, many times. And top five plenty uh, of times as well. Almost 600 home runs, right? 589? 580, 586, yep. uh, which finished off his career uh, is fourth all time and if you ever hit uh did some hit batting practice down at the strike zone near 108th and center in mm-hmm. omaha they had all these posters of uh or paintings of famous baseball players and their statistics and i don't think they've updated it because it still says that he's fourth all time <laughs> he's now 10th which is still a feat but uh i mean hey top 10 so yeah so here's his 162 game average over his career uh an average season he would hit 294 uh, 389 on base percentage, almost 400 for his career. 537 slugging percentage for 34 home runs, uh, 105 RBI, and 926 OPS. There were four seasons in which he had an OPS above one. Each of those times, he led the league, uh, led his respective league in OPS, and twice he led all the major leagues in OPS. Yeah, as you mentioned earlier, he was... Uh, voted MVP twice, uh, once at Cincinnati, once at Baltimore. Um, and this is something that is interesting. So we, we on the show, we complain quite a bit about, uh, you know, bad MVP winners. Mm-hmm. Now, Frank was Robinson, ba- was, no, he was okay, never, a, okay, he was a great, he was an. I didn't think you were going to go there. But. No, he was the, uh, both the years he won, he was a solid MVP candidate. In fact, one of them, uh, Arguably, maybe the best offensive season of the 1960s, in which he had 49 home runs in a uh, 10 1047 OPS. Uh, but the one I, thing I wanted to mention: so in 1960, he led the all of the major leagues in OPS uh, with 1.002. He had an on-base percentage of 407, two ni- and hit for 297 and 31 home runs, 83 RBI. You know where he finished in the National League MVP voting? Ninth. 20th. Oh, wow. And here's the guy who won. Now, don't laugh at his name because that's inappropriate. I'm going to laugh at it. Dick Grote. And Dick Grote had a – he had a – okay, so I'm going to compare these two, these two. So Frank Robinson was 20th. Or tied for 20th, and he bat 297 with 31 home runs. And, and what year is this? OP, 1960. 1960, in, okay. And an OPS of 1.002. Dick Grote, on the other hand, had a batting average of 325, which did lead the major leagues. As Wait, uh, it did lead... Uh, hold on here. Yeah, it led the major leagues, I'll give him that. But his on-base percentage was 370. An OPS of 766, zero stolen bases, and two home runs. And I'll never understand 
how that can win the MVP over batting 297, 31 home runs, 13 stolen bases, 83 RBI, le- leading the league in OPS. That's that right there, and they were discussing what? it online. That was maybe Dick Grote was maybe the worst. This was maybe just in general the whole National League in 1960s maybe the worst um, MVP voting. Well, well, here's. I mean, now I'm not saying that Frank Robinson couldn't have won it, but he should have been top five. Here's where uh, it. Well, yeah, but you look at number four, Ernie Banks, that year. I know that we don't care as much about RBI yeah. and blah, 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 whatever, but 41 home runs. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. On He had 162 hits, 41 home runs, 117 RBI, one stolen base, 71 walks. He bat 271, which isn't great, but it's not bad. Yeah. Um, it's not like 250 or something. And a, but a 900, you know, 904 OPS. So here's my. And then Willie Mays above him, too, is just as equally like. So my reasoning, my reasoning for. My guess for why he didn't win MVP or wasn't higher was because um, Ernie, you good? Yeah, I'm good. Okay. I just feel like I'm hearing an echo. but Okay, fair. So Ernie Banks, the previous two years, both 58 and 59, he won the MVP. And I'm sure that there was some bias against him winning it again. Because there always is. Like, oh, yeah. with for the NBA, for example, Russell Westbrook averaging a triple-double, but since he won the MVP the year before, you know, he's not going to win it again. So, that's kind of the same thing. He he won it twice. It's just, unless you're, you know, Barry Bonds in the early 2000s, you're not going to win more than two in a row. Yeah, I mean, just the same. Just that same year. I mean, then Willie Mays, 190 hits, 29 home runs, 103 RBI, 25 stolen bases, 319 batting average, 936 OPI. I mean, so, I, I mean, anyone from 2 to 20 probably could have uh, had a better MVP race. Oh, absolutely. I agree with that. Like, two home runs, 50 – there's there's nothing that stands out about other than 325 batting average. That's it. And also, here's another thing that's interesting about him. So – when you think of Frank Robinson, what team do you think of, like, that he played for? Without being uh, embarrassed, uh, at first I heard the name and I was like, why do I, I – like, not – I couldn't really put yeah. a face to the name I mean, at the time. But then again, yeah. I wasn't watching baseball in the 60s. Exactly. Yeah, and I'm not yeah, – Beyond gonna, belief. I'm not going to shame you for not knowing. Um, and it's not that I didn't know who he was. It's just that it, – Sometimes it doesn't ring a bell immediately. Right. So, yeah. I mean, probably the Reds. Okay, because for me, and I was talking with my dad last night, our loyal listener, and uh, we both were saying uh, for us it was Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Now, partly because my dad was 10 years old when he got traded to Baltimore. Not my dad. He didn't get traded to Baltimore when he was 10. But <laughs> Your Frank- dad was growing up in the farm league. Oh, yeah. So, But anyway, I didn't know he only played six seasons at Baltimore. Mm-hmm. And when he got traded, he was 30 years old. Like, he started, his first season was 30. And for a lot of people, that was, you know, how they remember him. And, yeah, at the age of 33 and, wait, yeah, uh, 33 and 35, each of those years, he finished third. And then when he's 34, he finished 10. So he had a long, like, he didn't just peak for a few years. Like, he had many great years and success. I think... What we're trying to say is Frank Robinson is, in my opinion, I would... The second best Robinson to play for the Orioles. <laughs> in summation. In, in, in the... No. Um, <laughs> he in the was same era. the best offensive player in the 60s. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, the 60s wasn't a great time for offense, but... You if didn't you have, look a, at, you but didn't if have you Barry look at, Bonds going up to the plate in the 60s. But if you looked yeah. at... I mean, like we mentioned a couple weeks ago, the number one offensive team in 1968 would have been the worst. If they played in 1998, they would have been the worst offensive team. Mm -hmm. However, if you look at Frank Robinson's numbers, he would have been an MVP today. That just shows how how much more dominant he was uh, in comparison to the rest of his career. And not only that, um, now if you look at his wins and losses as a manager, it's not – I'm not, you know, they're not great. Um, but 
He didn't well, pull still one player he still coach won, deal. He, first of all, he, in comparison to a lot of other player coaches, uh, he did made a pretty good transition. In fact, uh, he won manager of the year mm-hmm. when he managed. Tell me the year. But. Uh, 1989, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I think it's going to be on here somewhere. Anyway, uh, yeah, it was 1989 with uh, Cleveland. Anyway, and lastly, before we move on, uh, in 1956, his uh, rookie year at the age of age of 20, so younger than us, he batted. No, don't make me sad. Well, I'm going to. Why am I crying batted, in the studio right now? He batted 290, uh-huh. with 379 on base, uh, 558 slugging percentage for an OPS of 936, and 38 home runs. 38 home runs in his rookie year at the age of 20. <laughs> Good for he, seventh finished, in the MVP he, voting. He, not just the he won Rookie of the Year and in seventh in the MVP voting. Like that's he was an All Star out of the like literally an All Star out of the gate. One of the yeah. best baseball players immediately as he started. So, what well, yeah, two time MVP, Rookie of the Year, fourteen time All Star in twelve of those crown. Yeah, in twelve of those years because they did for a while they did two All Star games. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, so he had twelve years as an All Star, fourteen total. And then um, two World Series rings, a Gold Glove, World Series MVP, All Star MVP, even won a gold batting glove? title. Wonder I think he only won one, but mm-hmm. yeah, I'm just trying to figure out what year that was. Major League Player of the Year. Do we need to say anymore? Because I will say, <laughs> I will say statistically, not that this is a bad thing, because with his offense, it doesn't even matter. But I try to avoid anything defensively about him, but. But, I mean, like I said. It was uh, only, I mean, it was his third got, year in the league, so. Yeah, and not only that, but when you get nine wins above replacement on offense alone, you're probably pretty good. Yeah, that'll usually get it done. That'll usually, that'll usually get it done. I mean, the year though. he won a Golden Glove offensively, he had 31 home runs, had 83 and honestly, RBI. And honestly, those teams that he played on with the with Baltimore were so good defensively that it didn't even, it's like we, we need at least one offensive guy because that's had – that had um, Mark Bellinger and Brooks Robinson, who were two and third all time in defensive wins. So, would you compare people to? Because uh, you said that you kind of remember him as playing for Baltimore. Is it? I, I kind of yeah, because I was there watching. Yeah. Because <laughs> your dad just got <laughs> traded there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, it makes me think of like you know when when Ken Griffey Jr. is playing out his last couple of years with. Cincinnati, mm-hmm. but if you don't, if you didn't jump on the baseball train like soon enough, yeah, you only know Ken Griffey Jr. from the Reds. Oh, I mean, yeah, like the when I grew up, you also only know him as like Barry Bonds' sized Kevin Ken Griffey Jr. Oh yeah, like I mean, yeah, because now I I think of him on the Mariners, of course, mm-hmm. but um, the first time I heard of him was playing backyard baseball two thousand two or three, and he was yeah. one of the. Uh, guys that you could pick in it, and in that game, he is uh, he's the Cincinnati Red, and so you kind of just immediately and he's great in that game because that was like right after he had gotten traded, mm-hmm. so he still has you know they didn't they thought that he still had something left in the tank, but uh, <laughs> now he's still good there. But yeah, he he was you you first see him as a Cincinnati Red, and. Uh, that wasn't where his, you know, where his best years were, but well, obviously, that's yeah. just where we first saw him. Yeah, I mean, he was he was a year old. Uh, I was a year old when he he played his last season at Seattle. So yeah, because that would have been what ninety nine, ninety nine, ninety eight, ninety nine. Ninety nine was his last season. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. So there. I was there. Remember, like it was yesterday. I was two. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, but. In summation, Frank Robinson was I mean, one of the greatest baseball players uh, at of least all time. Offensively, yeah. Off- oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Like threat a- to the plate. So. Uh, and then we and had a some- Hall of Famer. Nothing. Uh, hey, nothing uh, against that no one. There's no question. Yeah. yeah. Nope. If you look at those st- st- statistics, there's you don't no have to question. yell about that one. That's there's sure. no question that he's a Hall of Famer. That is. That is. Yeah. Absolutely no question about that. Oh yeah, and a couple batting titles too, or one batting title, but still he. Well, yeah, a batting still. title, but still. 
a triple crown and then a batting title, which I don't know if it would have been in the same year. Yeah, probably. I but, yeah, I, I kind of missed that part. Uh, but, yeah. Um, speaking of, and I know that we haven't gone a week without talking about Hall of Fame, so we might as well do it again one more time, but not for baseball. Um, football right. came out with their Hall of Fame. I believe it's a class of four. Um, three safeties, well, three defensive backs. I guess Chan Bailey played corner. Uh, is this the Antonio Gonzalez? Voting, I believe the voting. I think they are already. I think it's been, been, been decided. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, well, I'm trying to find a news article on it here because I've been doing some other stuff with the Super Bowl. As no, that's well. okay. I didn't. I we don't have to. Do hang you have too do you, long no, on this, do you, Yeah. Do who who was introduced? Do you have that uh, list? Yeah. It. I believe it was Ed Reed, Ty Law, Champ Bailey, and Tony Gonzalez. Yeah. I also see Kevin Maway, Gil Brandt, and Johnny Robinson. Yeah, I think there may have been a couple. I, I don't know if they're. I don't remember how okay. they do those. Oh. I don't know if they do like the veterans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, vote. Hall of Fame class of 19, 2019 includes Tony Gonzalez, Ed Reed, Champ Bailey, Ty Law, Kevin Mawe, Pat Bullen, Gil Brandt, and Johnny Robinson. There you go. So now there are 326 members of the Hall of Fame. Um, I don't know who was on the voting, but looking at least at those first four. Who I'm Wait. pretty sure are. Well, I have the list of finalists. Okay. So all the guys you named, and if I go back over them, uh, in addition to the finalists were Steve Atwater, uh, Tony Baselli, Isaac Bruce, Don Coriel. Alan Don Coriel F- absolutely needs to get voted in. Uh, some Alan Fineca, Finessa, I don't remember how. Alan Fineca? Yeah, that might be right. Uh, Tom Flores, Steve Hutchinson, Edron James, John Lynch. And Richard Seymour, the rest got in. Well, Ty Law doesn't even have – well, modern era finalists was, was were those. But, I mean, yeah, Ty Law obviously got in. I don't know if yeah. he was like a wild card vote or what it was. but You know, I, I see it. I see him. That was the one honestly, big debate. That was the one that honestly, people were debating was Ty Law. You know, I mean, Tom Brady was the quarterback. But those first, th- you know, couple Super Bowls that the Patriots had in the early 2000s. Oh, six of them. <laughs> um, but those first, those first three that they won, or yeah, oh one, oh three, and oh, oh there four. He is. Yeah, he's on the list. Never mind. I um, skipped him. Ty Lott, to me, looking at the statistics and just how they added uh, to that team, he was the best player on those on those Patriots teams. Because yeah, I mean, those were defensive. Those were def- I mean, all- well, the, the, no, the best player was Adam Vinatieri, but that's I mean, yeah, yeah besides but the point. <laughs> besides the point was Ty Corey Law. Dill- it was Corey Dillon. No, he was only on there one year. Maybe that year he was. No, I, he was there like three years. Well, yeah, but he only won one Super Bowl. Do you know Corey Dillon? I, I was actually going to bring this up because we talked about um, this at my work a few days ago. Corey Dillon is still the leading uh, Cincinnati Bengals rusher. I'm not surprised. And he played he played six or seven seasons and had almost nine thousand rushing yards. Oh yeah, he was a beast for them. That was all yeah. they had. Yeah, because they were still the bungles at, at that time. <laughs> and uh, so Tony Gonzalez, of course, there's no question he's going to be included uh, in the second, Hall of Fame at some second point. Second or third best tight end ever. I would say first. Who would you put at first? Well, while his brain cells are fading, I mean Gronk is. Is up there. The difference is that Gronk for you know had Brady. I mean, he has declined oh, yeah. in the I, recent years, but I mean, he was still at one point an elite quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, however, Tony Gonzalez, his quarterback was Trent Green. You tell me who was, you know, okay. he had Matt Ryan for like a year. Yeah, <laughs> but for the you know the prime of his career, he had Trent Green, who I mean, oh, he was good quarterback, but. He wasn't. He wasn't Peyton Manning. He wasn't, you know, Kurt Warner or anything. But I don't remember. Does does he still hold the um, like touchdowns by a tight end record? Or Gronk, I think no. I Gronk think Gronk. I think Gronk beat that because the only there's reason, only so many touchdowns he can throw to slot receivers. That's true. the The th- three tight ends I think of when I think of like the, the ideal, like who you want in that position. One is Tony Gonzalez, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one at least guy Chamberlain. Of them, <laughs> one of the, 
I said ideal. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> I, I, um, Gronk, just based on like his he body type. He both sides of the ball because they only had 11 players on the roster. Back 13, <laughs> and two of them were on the IR. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and then, Three of them, actually. They had one of them still out there playing. <laughs> um, and Antonio Gates is, is probably the third like tight end that I think of when it comes to the position. I'm not oh, saying yeah. that he's necessarily a you know the third best tight end of all time. But but he is what you want out of a tight end. Exactly, and he's At still playing. At least a receiving so. tight end. Yeah. So... You know, not again. Not taking anything away from Tony Gonzalez. Obviously, he was going to be a Hall of Famer. Oh, um, absolutely. I think this and is same the, with the, his first ballot. So. And Champ Bailey, of course. Yeah, I was just like, I was going to pull up some of their stats just to like. It seemed about every justify, year. I guess. Just it seemed just about every year that Champ Bailey played, he was the best defensive back in football. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. Like, I mean, yeah, he the, slowly declined. The, and he, yeah, of course, like in the end, all that. At the very end of his career and probably the very beginning as well, he wasn't. But for the most part, who like who was better during you know the early to late two thousands? Mm-hmm. I don't I don't remember who it was, but someone said to me like, "Oh, for me to consider like Hall of Fame, I feel like multiple years in a row you should be like the best at your position, like all like you should be all pro." Which I think is a fair debate, and I think that's why Ty Law was so like. He was still one of the Maybe, best. Maybe, but still one 1998, of the first team All-Pro and Pro Bowl. For um, Champ Bailey? No, this is for Ty Law. Okay. So then Ty Law went to four more Pro Bowls, and in 2003, which is five seasons later from the first time that he was All-Pro, mm-hmm. he gets All-Pro again. Now, would it be better if there were like three of them in a row? Maybe, but oh, it's yeah. saying that five years later, he is still capable of being you a know, top guy. A, a yeah, top safety, and I mean, so. and I mean to – it's it's always – the voting for the Pro Bowl is a lot about star power. Yeah. Um, you look at a guy like a, like a Sean Springs, if you remember Sean Springs at all. Not Statistically, really. Statistically, he was one – he played for uh, Seattle when, like, they were – when back when they were in the AFC and a little bit into the NFC, mm-hmm. um, when they had those nice, bright, royal blue and green uniforms, the – you know, those oh, ones. Wonderful. Anyway – Statistically, because that's how we speak on this show, one of the best corners in football. But the thing is, is that he plays on a team that either is between seven or nine or nine and seven for like 20 years straight. Mm-hmm. They're always right in the middle. And so no one – that was like the one team that everyone would forget existed was Seattle. So, of course, he was rarely going to get voted in. The guy that would get voted in over him, most for the most part, would usually be like – a. Uh, Ricky Waters, uh, who was on some of those teams, uh, Warren Moon on maybe – I think mm-hmm. we were on a couple teams that he was also on. But, yeah. Uh, just to wrap up Ty Law here. Yeah. Um, obviously Hall of Famer now. But, five, like I said, five-time Pro Bowl, two-time All-Pro, three-time Super Bowl champion. He finished his career with 53 interceptions and seven touchdowns. So, by no means is he, like, not deserving of it. But – I, I can see where the debate would come from. Yeah, I can see too, but, you know. Let's see Champ Bailey. Slightly different position, but also Champ Bailey just retired like six years ago. Yeah, um, last, last full season was 2013. Practice squad member in 2014. Um, 12 Pro Bowls. Yeah, three-time All-Pro. Three All-Pros. Le- one less interception and three less touchdowns, but also as a safety, you – it's uh, – it sounds weird that like you can't really compare a cornerback to a safety, but you can't really there compare. Is, there, there is, yeah, different there's instances. crossover, but it doesn't usually it exactly your safety, translate. Usually, your safeties are going to be playing zone, and your corners are going to be playing man. Yeah, and it's a lot easier to. So one guy covers one entire part of the field; the other person just covers one guy. Exactly. Yeah. Um, however, Champ Bailey uh, also in 2006 was the NFL interceptions leader. Uh, and of course, with numbers like that, was voted into the uh, NFL 2000s All Decade team. Also, like we were saying, the whole is it better to have multiple All Pros or multiple All Pros right in a row? He oh four oh five oh six first team All Pro defensive that back. Has, I mean, that's all that's got to be said. Yeah, and it was there was the three years after he gets traded, and I you know I'm I'm still not upset by that trade because I love Clinton Portis, but. But, 
but Champ Bailey was uh, I don't I mean Champ Bailey wasn't going to win Washington a Super Bowl, so it's it's not like I Daryl really Green upset, was. <laughs> I thought we had a chance with RG three. I just I could see it. Yeah, until his leg snapped the opposite way, then it was. Yeah, then it was pretty much done from there. Yep. <laughs> um, but there's some other guys that you mentioned that were not voted in uh, that absolutely deserve it. Steve Hutchinson, who is maybe the best. Uh, him and Jonathan Ogden were the two best offensive linemen of the 2000s. Uh, so it's only a matter of time until he gets voted in. Um, and, yeah, who are some of the other guys on there? That, that got voted, voted in or didn't get voted didn't in? Didn't get voted in. Um, I'll have to pull that list back up. But, are they, I mean – no, no worries. I was just looking up Ed Reed, the greatest safety of all time. Uh, uh, Jack Tatum. Uh, John Lynch. Uh, John Lynch was a he'll. I think he'll be in at some point. If if Ed Reed gets in, John Lynch should get in. That's hot. I mean, it's not a hot take, but I mean, Ed Reed was clearly better. I mean, personally, maybe not. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, John Lynch was such a game changer. With here, here's why. Isaac he, Bruce, he'll probably get he, in. He, my thing with uh, John Lynch is that he laid out uh, Marshall Falk in the open field, like laid him out. And if he can tackle Marshall Falk in the open field, he would make open ta- uh, field tackles on like guys like Barry Sanders, and like not just like hits, but he would just like crush him. And also, I think he gave his brother-in-law who was i forget who the quarterback was the quarterback was his brother-in-law and uh and anyway he um like one second yeah and he put him out on the sidelines with a concussion and apparently that caused like a bit of a his wife wasn't very happy with him about that but it's like hey it's football it's football baby oh i mean statistically ed reads the better um safety but well lynch played years with atwater so he's not going to always be the lead guy that's true um and wasn't atwater on the list too yes yeah yeah Atwater's he's gonna on the list you'll make it in at some point up too i'm sure edrin james maybe maybe he he had that one's not there a was given a, that's the thing is there was a couple years where he, like someone said about back-to-back years is the best you know, you could give the argument for him being, like, the best running back in the league. But he had such a short prime. He's kind of like a like a Tracy McGrady. Is, you know, his his prime was early. It's kind of short. But those years of his prime were like, okay. Yeah. This will help spread out the defense. Let's see. He finished his career with... 12,246 rushing yards and 80 touchdowns. <laughs> Over 2,000 fantasy points. Oh, <laughs> that's what we care about. He had just one first-team first All-Pro, which was his rookie year. For? For Edron James. And I believe that. The reason I believe Cause that. Because his prime was so early, like I mentioned earlier. I mean, his two best rushing seasons – were his first two seasons. You know, it's kind of funny because uh, Earl Campbell, mm-hmm. he was the exact same way. I think his the two years uh, Earl Campbell was first-team All-Pro was his rookie and sophomore years. Well, and I think part of, I mean, Edron James is, he obviously he was coming out of the, um, uh, he came out of Miami, which at the time was it, not a so much house. anymore, but it was a powerhouse. Uh, for powerhouse. Possible. Well, and it was. I mean, it was running back. You like that's like that's where yeah, you were getting running Portis. backs and uh, running backs and defensive. I mean, I mean, basically really, anyone on the defensive side of the ball. Honestly, too, Miami but. is just historically known as a because they've played such a pro style of football mm-hmm. that they're known of, as being like a Pro Bowl factory. Yeah, like Nebraska, of course, we know was good for so many years, but they spent so many. First of all, they conditioned guys so hard at Nebraska that they would get them to reach their prime, like, in for college. a lot of them at the beginning of, like, while they were in college. Right, exactly. Because um, you look at a lot of Nebraska guys and their best seasons were, like, their second or third seasons in the NFL. Um, and not only that, but they played such a college style of football 
that for a lot of guys it didn't translate over. I mean, of course, you had like Eric Crouch and Tommy Frazier. Tommy Frazier had an injury. Right. But Eric Crouch, of course, he's not going to be able to translate to the NFL. As he admitted, he could only run play action. He couldn't read defenses. <laughs> he just was like, oh, I'm going to run it. <laughs> um, so I'm not, out of his shoes. I'm, I'm not sure where uh, where Edron James sits uh, for total yards list. He's got. A, he's probably on the in the top ten, I'd say. Right? It's probably around there. Um, Emmett Smith. Well, Emmett Smith has, what, 22? Give me a second. My internet is slow right now. Yeah, my computer's on its last leg. Not last legs as in I need a new computer. It's on its last legs as in. As in the internet's it might, on its last legs. <laughs> yeah, it also might die, but okay. what's new, right? Um, so I could see Edron James getting in. Basically on that list, the, the problem with the, the list like this is you see the modern era finalists. And you go, oh, that guy's got to get in. Oh, mm-hmm. this guy's got to get in. And then next year's list comes out, and it's like, yeah, I don't even remember who was on this list last year. These right. guys have to get in. So it's just it, – I feel like football more than any other sport, and maybe I'm wrong, mm-hmm. football more than any other sport, it feels like it's first ballot or bust almost. Not that guys don't get in, you know, not on the first. Yeah, but it's so uh, hard to get in after that first time because there's yeah. so many good because players. Because, ha- like I said, what happens is, like. You have 22 guys. Like, what if next year it's like, oh, yeah, the headline is Peyton Manning. It's like, oh, well, can, do we really and put John Lynch and in? And honestly, that's Peyton the thing Manning is why in? I do, like, we were, as we mentioned, we're not huge fans of the Veterans Committee for Baseball because it gets in well, guys yeah. like Lee Smith and Harold Baines. However. Harold Baines. And. <laughs> It's like the forbidden words of this podcast. All right, this show. Anyway. It's going put to put us off the airways more times we say it. Exactly. That's the eighth word that we can't say. <laughs> we have a we have a running list All right. on the wall. And that's, that, that was the that's first one that we had to write on ourselves. <laughs> anyway, so yes, he is a member of the Thousand Yards Rushing Club. Uh, Edward. But I was going to say is I I do like the Veterans Committee for the NFL because there's a lot of guys that don't make it in their first time, and and you're over after that. Because you just get buried in the list. mm -hmm, And one of those guys was recently voted in, and that was uh, Ken Stabler, who was – Raiders, first of all, led the Raiders to being maybe the best franchise of the 70s along with the Steelers. Um, The difference was the Steelers were such a – defensive team and Ken Stabler was he led a one of the first strong passing attacks in NFL history and the, the great thing the reason he was voted off of all things was because he was such a partier and people didn't like his attitude but um he had an absolute cannon for an arm first of all and in the clutch I would if I had you know how to make a two-minute drive down the field to win a game and I had to pick any quarterback I'd go with Ken Stabler because I heard of like not along with like some of the stuff that he did and you know, I've seen on online mm-hmm. uh, in replays, but like I remember my dad telling me about how he'd read a um, autobiography by John Madden about when he coached those seventies Raiders teams and just like how Ken Stabler would ap- approach fourth quarter uh, situations like, there was a game where it was, like, he calls timeout on, like, fourth and, like, 17, and the Raiders are down three, and they're at on the on the road mm-hmm. against Miami, who is really good of two. And, they you know, they get into the huddle, and Madden's, you know, giving out the plan, and Ken Sable's like, man, these, these fans are really getting their money's worth today, aren't they? <laughs> then he goes out there and com- converts on 4th and 17. And they do like another, like a 4th and 22 he'd convert on. And it's like, but since he didn't get voted on once because of his, you know, his quote-unquote, you know, party lifestyle, he's done for, which is undeserving because he was one of the best quarterbacks, maybe the best quarterback of the 70s. He's just out on the field holding a pack of heaters. I mean, just... he was on the sideline. <laughs> he was. I need my menthol. He was ripping. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, so yeah, I I mean, off, on that list of guys that didn't get in this year, would hope to see a guy like John Lynch, a guy like Edrin James, um, 
like you said, uh, was it Hutchinson? Um, I forgot his first name. Steve, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Steve Hutchinson. I mean, there's plenty of guys on that modern era finalist that Steve Hutchinson's absolutely going to make it in next year. He, there's no question. But I don't. I guess we don't. We don't know what the class of next year is going to look like. We don't know who's eligible for next year. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. sure someone's got an early look at the. But so yeah, a Hall of Fame we don't really need to yell about because most of those guys are like like. It's just so different with football and baseball because there's you, not all the, the time you'll there, see guys in baseball that like on their tenth year of the ballot make it in, like well, a Jim Rice made a, it in after fifteen years. Yeah, almost like a pity vote. It's like, well, yeah, we probably should have done this eight years ago. Like Barry uh, Bonds almost making it in this year, but part of that too is because we have guys like and seriously, it sounds like a joke, but guys like us who are always just like. Look at these numbers from 2001 to 2004, and you're going to tell me you're not going to vote him in. Well, yeah, and then you get... And we're not the only ones that have that opinion. There are a lot of people online that were uh, like, hey, yeah, did you know that like Barry Bonds hit like 15 grand slams in a row with no men on base? He found a way. That's what he did in 2001. He said, uh, ghost on first, second, and third. <laughs> if, if I hit a home run, or you like, can walk me. Everyone's like, hey, did you know that he got intentionally walked? With the bases loaded in 1998, like he did. Yeah, you look it up if you don't know, if you don't believe. Uh, well, and the other thing too is, I, I think with like football, especially, and I guess you could say basketball, whoever you want, you can go down the list. There's not the stigma of, um, you know, oh, he may have taken steroids. Then I mean, not, like in football, that just wasn't really ever. I mean, it's an issue, but it's never on the grand scheme that it was for baseball. Well, and that's the thing. It's like. What what happens is, and now I'm not, you know, I'm not going to say names or call anybody out, mostly because I don't have any names to say. But, but but if you look at football, I feel like by the time you get to now, of course, like Julian Edelman and everything, and it's funny because people say like, oh, well, now is Julian Edelman a Hall of Famer? And he really, you know, statistically, I can tell you that Barry Bonds was a better baseball player than Julian Edelman was a football player. Obviously, and they're like, oh, but uh, but he took. PEDs and he really doesn't have that great of stats but that's not the point that's not where I'm going with this but the thing is is once a lot of guys get to the NFL they're either getting into their prime or like genetically they they fit in the grand scheme of things and like for their position and the only time you're going to take you would take anything is if you're a lineman trying to bulk up or if mm-hmm. you're like a linebacker trying to bulk up. Well, or you're, you're a college gonna, powerhouse in the 80s. <laughs> yeah, so you're going to do that in high school or college, and once you get to the pros, there's, you should already like fit the mold you're you looking there, for. Yeah. So you, you, because you're not taking you're steroids. Because in, in college, in you're going to recruit a guy who's going to be your linebacker. and Him coming out of high school, he's going to be 6'2", 205. Yeah. Which, I mean, he might look like he's 35 and have eight kids, but maybe he doesn't. I mean, not, I mean, out of high school, usually they won't. but Unless you go to Alabama. <laughs> Put a few years uh, playing for uh, Miami or, I mean, you know, I'll, another school that we may or may not be attempting. <laughs> I mean, you see I'm some. not of, naming names, but. But you've seen, you've seen those replays of college football in the 80s, and you want to tell me that some of those guys. <laughs> I'm not, and I'm not Dwayne saying. Dwayne The Rock just, Johnson was I'm clean, not I say, promise. And I'm not going to say, you know, it was just, you know, Miami or you, maybe possibly. Us possibly, maybe, sort of, kind of, but every Florida State, every State, every one of those big schools. I'm not naming. It was just at that at that point, every one of those big schools. It was just a normal thing. Yeah, it wasn't a you know a a taboo kind of oh cheating. It's just like that was a way to get ahead, and those substances weren't banned anyway. That just you know it's like hey, we have something that we think could help out your performance. Our show always comes back to steroids. Um, I mean, the other thing yeah. too with <laughs> with football back in the day, and Nebraska did it a lot, is you'd go get guys that were destined to not go to college, or just were going to go work on a farm, or were just going to work for their family after high school. So they just, and then when you got them, they're like twenty four, and they're already just built out of their mind. Oh yeah. So it's Being like a farm hand. Yeah, like, of course he's going to be a great safety. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, you're what? Maybe three fifteen. Running, running away, running away from cows and lifting hay bales all day. Of course, you're gonna make it great, strong. You're gonna have that guy as your third, as your fifth. Yeah, we'll put you at middle He's gonna linebacker. be your nickelback. Absolutely, absolutely. We'll just shed you down from three hundred to two seventy five. We'll put you right in the middle. We'll put you. We'll put you at D tackle. <laughs> we'll put no. We'll put you at safety. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. Oh. 
Nebraska was all power back in the 80s. <laughs> oh. Anyways. Anyway. So, we'll we'll see, um, and maybe if by the end of the show I find that maybe what the prospects for the 2020 class are, we'll go into that. But um, there was a Super Bowl. Um, so I kind of. <laughs> I don't know how super it was. There was a football game last Sunday. <laughs> that determined a champion. That's kind of how we can put it. Uh, it was statistically, um, you can't say it was statistically the worst Super Bowl, but statistically it was the lowest scoring Super Bowl ever. I, I um, think it might have been the worst Super Bowl, personally. So At least that we've seen. At least that we've seen. For So what I know about Super Bowls, according to SB Nation, a video they did I think two years ago, uh, the worst Super Bowl of all time was the 1998-99 Super Bowl between Atlanta and Denver, according to them. Um, and I don't remember the exact score, but I think it was something like 37-24, to 24, something among those lines. Um, and it was... And it was it was out of the gate. Denver was clearly going to win. They started out off with like two straight touchdowns, but thirty-seven to twenty-four, uh, with a kick return touchdown. That sounds like not a bad game compared to thirteen to three, in which you couldn't even get into your opponent's red zone mm-hmm. in the first half. Like, yeah, I like defensive football, but after a while, it's like okay, at least get in. At least give me a goal line stand. That there's a difference between defensive football and low scoring football. If you can, if you just can't complete passes, um, and I mean there was great defense, but in order for it to truly be a defensive game, you got to play in the red zone. You got to stop them in the red zone. You just can't keep the ball at midfield all game. I'm gonna look up. Uh, I don't know why my default search for pro football references. 2003 Carolina Panthers, but it sure is. Um, because they had Mike Minner and Mike Rucker on that team after uh, dinner Minner. It, yeah. I mean, uh, I got to find this now. Hold on. Let's go Super Bowl. Some would a call huge it. section on criticism about the Pro Football Hall of Fame for their Wikipedia page. Why is that? Um, because Terrell Owens got checked or – um, hasn't been updated. Oh wait, no, him. he was elected, but he was yeah last year. He was a second. Took him forever. Yeah, I think second or third. Also, ballot. Howard Cassell has not been inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, even though he kind of was like the broadcaster for Monday Night Football for like a million years and was the first one to do it. And, you know, which completely changed how matter. sports broadcasting worked. Um. Yeah. No. That's probably why we're here right now, right? Um, the other thing, too, I think people gave a lot of crap for this, but um, they are like, oh, well, the attendance was 70,000, whatever. Well, that was 3,000. Well, some people said – someone said 30,000. I was like, that's just not right, but 3,000 yeah, less. Yeah, uh, they played in Corvallis, Oregon. Uh, 3,000 – yeah, wow. Um, 3,000 less than the MLS championship, the MLS Cup, which was played in the exact same stadium. Um, which the Super Bowl, if I remember correctly, is a little bit bigger of a media um, extravaganza, and, and was not isn't there wasn't featuring the home team because the MLS yeah, right. Cup was played at the home of Atlanta of, of Atlanta, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So Atlanta United, uh, which I will say that I watched that game and that was fun, <laughs> especially because I was rooting for Atlanta. I my favorite thing I think what people are the most mad about the Super Bowl obviously is Big the, Boy only getting one minute of performance time. That's true. That was uh, upsetting. They didn't play Sweet Victory the full. They 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 only used it to get into Travis Scott. The the next day or uh, Tuesday we had my music tech class and we always he always plays like a song like he'll play like an orchestra or like a jazz orchestra. And he's really neat stuff, but then we walk in one day and he's playing Sweet Victory. He's like, <laughs> I feel that you guys deserve this. this. You earned this. We all earned this. Um, I'm like, you're absolutely right. Other than the halftime show, the amount of points, and the Patriots winning, the thing people liked the least uh, <laughs> was uh, Julian Edelman wearing, wearing winning the MVP, um, mostly because, like, yeah, statistically he had a great performance, but a very good game. he had – 
none of the points. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I I don't know where you're at with that. Um, someone said yeah, he was. I mean, Sony Michelle me, 94 yards and had the only touchdown. Well, um, for me, I I have no problem with him winning because he seemed to be the X factor of that game. So. To me, he he was the guy whose name stood out the most, so I don't blame him. I mean, I always look at uh, – we always like to look at statistics, and, yeah, he might have not gotten any points, but he was the guy who helped that team win. It's like, who else are you going to pick? Oh, guy on the defense. I mean, but both of those defenses were about equally solid. The difference was, was is that the Rams' offense couldn't click. Jared, Jared Goff just couldn't – complete any passes let's see who's the guy that had there was a guy that had an interception i think and a forced fumble um of course now i can't find it someone who had the interception there it is stephen gilmore had an interception and a forced fumble um five tackles see that's the thing is like none of none of the stats the defensive players never is never gonna win unless unless they, they have, have a game winning like, like a, a pick six to you know, tie the game or something. Like well, that. that's like well, Malcolm Butler won it what 2016 against the Seahawks when they when the Patriots played him because yeah, he had because the pick at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, at the uh, the conspiracy. It's the only time in my life um, I've ever rooted for the Patriots. Really? Yeah. You didn't want the Seahawks to win? No, I was so sick of the Seahawks and Richard uh, Richard Seymour. <laughs> Sherman. Sherman. Uh, Richard Seymour is on the was on the finalist ballot. That's right. That's but right. so I I mean I don't know what your overall takeaway. Of, um, uh, hey, Greg Zerline had a tackle, by the way, a solo tackle. But I don't know what your your overall takeaway was um, of Super Bowl. It was all right. I mean, it, it it wasn't it wasn't like a it wasn't hard to watch. It just was like you. It was is- it was easy. It was easy to like get into a conversation with someone and then turn around. It's like, oh, the Patriots have the ball again. Or, oh, the oh, the Rams are punting. Here we go. Like, I mean, to me, I always expect the Super Bowl to be one of the best games of the year. Um, Defensively, the it was. Only, the only game that I can think of historically now that was worse was, I think it was 1989, where the final score was 55-10. The 49ers beating the Broncos. That's the only one that I can think of. Is like, I'd rather watch a thirteen to three game than fifty five to ten. Well, seeing people were screaming for, uh, like, oh, L A and Kansas City, it would have been just like Week Nine or Week Ten, whatever it was, and they would have just scored a, a million points. It's Honestly, like, I do agree with that. Fine, I do agree with that. I think it would have been more interesting. I think I don't think they would have scored as many points because the defenses maybe would have showed up. I mean, a, a defense that people said wasn't there all year were the Rams and they showed up against arguably, I mean, obviously proven, but arguably the, one of the best teams in the AFC. Now the problem with the Patriots that everyone said would happen and did was that they had a lack of offense. Well, apparently their defense was just good enough to To get, to get get them a win. And, and I don't know where Todd Gurley went. I, he had an injury, and they just yeah, didn't want to run but, him. But, like, it's a Super Bowl. I don't know if I, maybe – I can't think of the line in Waterboy that Dan Fouts keeps repeating because it's uh, his the last game of the season. But, um, anyway, if I can ever think of it, then uh, that would have been me the entire game. Uh, 1990, Niners beat the Broncos 55-10. to 1993, the Dallas Cowboys beat the Buffalo Bills 52-17. to um, 95, the Niners beat the Chargers 49-26. to So there's like pre-2000, I mean, even in the 2000s, the Bucks beat the Raiders, sorry, 48-21. I mean, yeah, that was... And the Seahawks beating the Broncos 43-8. to So like there there have been the fair share, but you, you look through even, I mean, even if you start at 2000 with the Rams, you know, 23-16... Uh, Ravens beat the Giants thirty-four to seven, but then like it, the anomalies kind of go away from there. It's three-point wins. It's you know eleven, ten, twelve. Like they're all within a reasonable realm, and then you kind of get the mixed in. Like oh, you, yeah, we lost by thirty-five points, but 
overall. Last yeah. game of the year, Brent can't hold anything back now. See, I, th- I knew I'd think of it at some point. And that's, and that's what you got to do. You're just like, all right, Todd, you might never have a knee again, but we but, need to beat the Patriots. <laughs> but everyone wants to see us beat the Patriots. You might be the last hope for running backs in the NFL. I'm just kidding. It's Saquon Barkley now, thank God. But yeah, that's true. Back now. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to see what happens with Saquon this year. But um, well, Jake, do you have anything else on the Super Bowl? Because we can no. always, we can always move on. It's it's one of those that like it's even hard. I don't want to say it's hard to talk about, but it, there's not really a lot to to grasp. I mean, it onto. happened, but there's just how many punts really were in the game? That's, that's what game. I want to know. Let's see. I don't know, but it did have the longest punt in uh, Super Bowl history. Really? 57 yards. Hecker? By Sam oh. Hecker, yep. Oh, yeah. Well, people, Sam Hecker, the best punter in NFL right football, now. Football, Johnny Hecker, but yeah. Um, I'm, who am I thinking of? I don't know. I don't you're know. thinking of Sam Cook for uh, the Ravens. You're right. Uh, no, well, I mean, the undertalk storyline was that the two guys that were punting both played at Oregon State the same time and they were battling for the starting punting position hmm. yeah so the mike riley effect don't forget <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna yeah, have a, you're right. at least we have there. great punters you don't uh, have an offense or defense johnny hecker but. nine punts his long was 65 and his average was 46.3 uh ryan allen for new england just punted five times which i mean 14 just. combined points or uh, punts 43 for an average, 53 for a long. So, yeah. Hey, man, it's a punter's game these days. Well, yeah. What can I tell you? <laughs> like we mentioned, you know, with baseball, there's the you know there's the era of hitting, the era of defense. Right now is the era of punters. <laughs> it was all started It's the era by of quarterbacks and punters. It was started by Sam Cook. I mean, he was the first Arguably. guy to do the knuckleball punt and the, all the other fancy schmancy punts instead of just booting it down the sideline hoping it hits the – Hoping it hits one of the um, hits the corners. So, uh, all right. Well, before we say goodbye and before we fall asleep talking about the Super Bowl, um, the DH. Well, also, I mean, there, there's plenty of ways we could go. We could talk about the NBA trade line and how almost all hell broke loose, and then it didn't. But I, I think based on us talking about baseball most of the show just because yeah. there's so many stats to go into and because it's an, it's kind of my favorite sport yeah well that was a given i don't have to say that one but <clears throat> just in case just cluing in the audience here but yeah the dh they have submitted to the players union um that they want to make the DH a universal position in both leagues. And my immediate thought, and I think a lot of baseball traditionalists immediate thought. Now, I wouldn't consider us traditionalists in the sense that like, oh, he, he may have taken a banned substance, but it wasn't banned when he took it. No. Uh, I, th- I think of us more as like, hey, this is just baseball. Like, for this us, is pure. Here's, like, this is what keeps the sport. For us, it's the I sport. feel like we're – pretty progressive baseball fans yeah um and as one um it wasn't rob dibble uh but a reds reliever i believe on twitter tweeted we're we're baseball is a sport in which you wear a button-down shirt that you tuck into your pants and wear a leather belt Mm -hmm. that's your uniform and so if we're going to talk about updating the rules i think that's not a problem at all well, and I agree with that, but I think I think what people are up in arms about is that it most teams, I mean in the NL aren't aren't going to benefit I mean, maybe. The Cubs are probably the only one I can think of because, that's what everyone says. They're like have, it's a rule that literally Because Kyle Schwarber is not a very good defense. He's an absolute slugger, but he they need to put him in the liability. Then, like I've said, um, a few years ago, with the uh, when they picked up Arolas Chapman at the deadline, uh, you probably don't remember this, but almost the entire time they were considering trading Kyle Schwarber because the Yankees wanted to use him as a DH because that's really his true position. Right. But you know, so here's my take. 
on the new rule is personally, if I was in charge of Major League Baseball, I would have both leagues uh, have pitchers hit because, first of all, it levels the playing field. And second, it creates more of a strategy with double switches, um, pinch runners when you substitute out your pitcher. However, I'm not completely against it. I'm like, here's like, I'm going to put it this way. The fact that the DH, ex- first of all, the DH exists to create offense and who doesn't like offense. Right. Um, but the fact Baseball that one traditionalists. league, but the fact that one league has it and one league doesn't, that's not, that's kind of weird. It's like if you, it's like in the NBA and on one side in the Eastern conference, you have six versus six. Western Conference has a five versus five, and you just have to change the rules depending on who the home court is. It's kind of weird, and there needs to be a level playing field in that sense. And not only that, because when you have interleague or you know the World Series, the NL or the AL team when they're at home is going to have an advantage because the National League team doesn't usually doesn't have a true DH. Mm-hmm. They're just going to get the best hitter off their bench, who's usually not going to be a great hitter. There's right. occasionally they'll have guys that will come off the bench, but there's such defensive liabilities that they don't want to risk it. Um, Schwarber, not as much anymore, but he was at first. Uh, Glenn Allen Hill, if you're familiar with him at all, he routinely would only play like half the Cubs games, um, and he would still hit in those half those games, he'd still hit like 20 home runs with a 300 average. But his wins above or wins above replacement were actually minus two in the field. So, in that sense, it works. But I just, like, if it creates more offense and levels the playing field, uh-huh. I'm for it. The worst situation is that one league has one thing, the other doesn't. That's just not okay. I mean, I've so always what I'm trying to say is uniform, it's not man. my first pick, but if we go to a universal DH, I don't have a problem with it. Well, I, I don't have a problem. I agree. I, here's where I'm at with it. Like, my, I would say my initial, like, thought is that, like, you know, oh, it's interesting to have pitchers hit I think pitchers should hit I think that's like a a good part of the game because obviously it's it it adds some kind of entertainment to it or some kind of excitement because everyone's like oh it's just gonna be an automatic out here and then you've got Clayton Kershaw hit a double to the wall or you know fill in the blank pitcher I just threw out the first one but the thing is is that we're at the point that like Baseball, and you and I have said this multiple times, baseball itself, ratings-wise and viewership-wise, is at the lowest point it's probably ever been, um, or it's mm-hmm. getting there. I think They need to do has, something. I think it has risen a tad in the last few years, but it's still not good enough. Right. It's still not where it should be. It's not where it was uh, 20 years ago. Nowhere close. Now, there is some unfair comparison because of how broadcasting worked for baseball 25 years ago. Well, yeah. But we could find a way to get to that point. And the main way to get to that point is have five to four games that last two and a half hours. Yeah, speed up the game and, and make it more Just a little bit more offense. The main thing that they've talked about is, one, I think they're lowering the, the warm-up pitches that pitchers can take on the mound – uh, coming out of the bullpen from like eight to three, well, and cutting the time in between innings in half, I, which is going to work. I, I mean, they are making, and here's what I think: they are making obviously significant moves to attempt to speed up the game, and I think they're making, or at least the players are trying to make it like, let's make this more interesting. And I think the one thing that still has to get across to I don't even remember who's in charge of the ML, who's the commissioner anymore. Um, but basically letting them have fun. Like they need to be able to wear whatever cleats they want, wear batting sleeves. Like they can't just tell them like, hey, we don't really like your shoes, so you're going to owe us 10 grand. Like I, which is a, a, a grain of salt in the paycheck of most major league superstars. Mm-hmm. But still, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know where to go with it, but yeah, you're right. It's either everyone has their pitcher hit or no one has their pitchers hit. Mm-hmm. I think it's one. And of the personally, two. I'd pick pitchers, but if it comes to DH, 
I have no problem with some extra offense. It's not a problem. Just a little bit, but a little bit less strategy. But if that means another home run, it's cool with me. All right, Jake. Uh, about twenty-two seconds. All right. Shout out to Rolly. Shout out to Pot Roast. Shout out to Mustache Man. Shout out to um, Sideshow. Shout out to Rolly. Shout out to Whirly. Um, you may have doubled up there, but it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. And one of them gets an uh, extra. Shout out to all the mommies keeping it high and tight. Uh, Thank you, Jeans. And lastly, shout out to my dad. Thank you for being our one listener every show. (laughs) For Jake Larson, I'm Colton Stone. It's been Chasing History. Thanks for listening. We will catch you guys next week.